Hey, hey, welcome. This is the very first episode of the Alligator Sports Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Richardson, and I'm here to give you all the updates for everything Florida Gator Athletics. And uh, I guess just a brief introduction uh, to me is, well, um, I'm from Orlando. I am a proud fan of the Orlando Magic, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Um, I love sports. I love music, all kinds of rock music. Uh, but that's me. I don't want to go too on about myself. I just want to get right into the show for you guys. We're going to have an action-packed show today. We got River Wells on today. He's he's a uh, column writer for the Alligator. We also got Zach Huber. He is a sports writer for the Alligator as well. Um, but let's get right into it. Let's get into uh, one of my favorite parts of this show. It's going to be the sports review. Everything that's happened within the past week of Florida Gator Athletics. Let's get into it. All right, the last seven days were action-packed for Florida Gator Athletics, and let's start it off with football. Athletic Director Scott Strickland released a press statement on Tuesday afternoon saying that the spring football game, otherwise known as the Orange and Blue game, would have no fans in attendance because of COVID-19 concerns. Now, it is likely that the game might not even be played, just like it wasn't last year. Uh, We'll keep an eye on, on that update for you guys. Moving on to men's basketball, they've had their past couple of games postponed. Uh, the games versus LSU and Texas A&M uh, were postponed due to COVID concerns, and they will most likely be rescheduled for another time. But for now, the Gators will play their game on February 16th versus Arkansas. Be on the lookout for those. You can watch that, I believe, on, uh, on one of the ESPN networks. I believe it's going to be on SEC Network. Women's basketball actually had a very tough loss on Monday night. They lost by eight to number 17, Kentucky, 88 to 80. And uh, the Gators showed a lot of heart in the game. They actually even came back from a 16-point deficit. Um, They were missing their star player, Lavender Briggs, but able to fill in those shoes was Kiara Smith, who led the way with 23 points and even recorded her own double-double for the night. Volleyball is currently 10-2. Uh, they are on a five-game win streak, and they beat LSU on back-to-back days last week on Wednesday and Thursday. Softball is undefeated. They are 2-0 after experiencing a long weekend of rain delays, but they were still able to win both of their doubleheader games against the University of South Florida. First game, 6-3. Second game, an absolute rout, 15 to nothing. Senior Jordan Matthews earned her first RBI of the season, and even recorded the first RBI for the Gators in general. Women's lacrosse defeated Louisville over the weekend with the final score of 14-7. Gators came back from a 2-0 deficit in their first quarter, claimed their own 4-3 lead, and it was all Gators after that, only giving up four goals and scoring 10 of their own. Senior Shannon Cavanaugh was included in, in that blitz and even scored back-to-back goals, almost getting a hat trick. Track and field finishes 6th in 8th place. SEC Field Athlete of the Week Thomas Martle finishes 2nd in weight throw with a 22.19 meter distance. And women's golf is still awaiting the results from their meet. Uh, last we checked, they were 11 strokes behind. And that's it for sports this past week. And we'll take you right back to the show. This week, I got to sit down with River Wells, a column writer for the Independent Alligator. 
me and him both have very strong opinions about the, the Florida Gator football defense and how they've been going downhill. And maybe Todd Grantham probably not be in the picture anymore. Let's listen. All right, so I am here sitting with River Wells, uh, the independent alligator sports writer, and um, he uh, must be feeling pretty mighty good this week still after not even uh, from today, eight days ago, his Tampa Bay Buccaneers won Super Bowl. River, how are you feeling today, my man? I'm feeling great. I'm going to be feeling great for an entire offseason. I'm still, I'm still riding that one for sure. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time coming. and it, Honestly, Sunday, that Sunday is probably like top three best days of my life. So, you know. Yeah, uh, already. That's pre- Getting married pre... Yeah, uh, it's, it's going to be better than marriage, I mean, for sure. <laughs> Unless we win another one, in which case it'll be, you know, Super Bowl one, Super Bowl two, and then marriage. So. Amazing. Amazing. I, I absolutely love that spirit. That's pretty much where I'm at with, with my Eagles. Um, So, River, you put out an article uh, regarding the Florida Gators defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, and how recently the Gators have kind of went downhill def- defensively-wise oh, yeah. and have more dependent on their offensive side, whether it's Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, um, any offensive weapons you can name, Kadarius Tony. But as journalists, we definitely noticed that there's been a downfall, whether it's the LSU game or whether it's the SEC championship against Alabama. There's definitely something going on. So I just want to know, River, what made you come up with this take? What inspired you to write this piece? And uh, just kind of take me into your mind, uh, really. Well, yeah, you know... um... You kind of saw Florida uh, making a lot of defensive changes um, in the offseason, and that really comes in the form of uh, Ron English and Torian Gray, you know, two two guys who were coached on the defense, and then they were they were let go and they were replaced uh, with Wesley McGriff and, and Jules Montanar, uh, who Wesley's from Auburn and, and Jules is from USF, and I saw those things and I thought, you know, yeah, those are good moves with, with the defensive coaching staff. But I, in my mind, if Florida really wanted to completely improve their defensive unit, it's got to start at the top there. And um, a lot of that comes down to Todd Grantham scheming and a lot of that comes down to uh, the way the defense is run. And, and I think, you know, while those changes that they made were still necessary, since those are, you know, all the guys that were on defense and were a part of that, in my opinion, quite bad defense last year um i was thinking you know it's, it's interesting to see that they they fire these two people and then they don't let go of todd they keep him there and and i figured well i feel like they should have done that i feel like if they wanted to uh really start to try and compete for that national championship like i know this program wants to do in the state that it's currently in uh that would be the way to go and they didn't do that so that's why i wrote the column right and so Really, if we go back and watch the tape about the Gators, we can obviously see regression in the corners and the safeties. And I mean, yeah, we can look to C.J. Henderson going to the draft last year and all all kinds of defensive backs going away, but Marco Wilson was supposed to be a guy that, you know, who was supposed to be an elite talent in the SEC. Didn't turn out that way. And he just didn't turn out that way. And in (laughs) fact, there was a lot of discipline, you know, issues that we saw, especially towards the... Towards the end there, uh, and then he made one brutal mis- mistake in front of 90,000 Gators fans uh, that eventually kind of cost the Gators uh, a shot at that national title. But that's all speculation as far as we know. It is one play. They could have they stopped him. Um, but so I don't know if we, if we can really pin the regression on more of the 
coaches for the defensive backs or even Todd. But I feel like for Grant, then that is still does rely on him. That it, he is the defense. That's his whole unit. That is. Yeah, you know, coaching your team is is a big part of that, and you know, make sure to develop that talent. You know, the word we hear a lot is develop. So you got talent development coming in. You get these recruits. Uh, and, you know, it's part of your job as a coach uh, in college and in the NFL and anywhere in any sport is to turn those players, take their raw talent, and, and mold them into something, you know, where they can be successful. And um, I think that you get a lot of talent in here, and, and we see these people in, in the backfield, in, in, in the safety core, and in the corners, and it's like, oh, you know, they're not playing well, you know, that they're, they're not talented. And, and the part of it is... I think a lot of these guys are talented, um, and I think part of the, I guess, um, part of the thing that the coaching needs to do is to develop those players, and I think with Grantham and with guys like Ron English and uh, and Torian Gray, that was becoming much difficult, uh, much more difficult, I should say, uh, because, you know, obviously that's where those firings kind of make sense, because those are the guys that are designed to... to essentially develop those talents in, in those players, and they didn't do that job very well. Right. And then that comes down to also the scheming and, and where these players are supposed to be and, and the defensive scheme that they're learning. And, um, you know, I, as a writer, uh, I asked Chris Bogle one time, or I didn't ask Chris Bogle, someone asked Chris Bogle, um, someone else, how he would rate Grantham's defensive scheme on a scale of 1 to 10. And he called it a 10. Oh, um, wow. And... <laughs> You know, that could be seen in some ways, well, you know, it's good that the scheme is complicated, but to me, it's like these players are, are saying that this is a very complex scheme, then it's hard to translate that onto the field, possibly. Right. So I think that's where a lot of those problems come into with these guys. So, but another thing that really sticks out to me as well is the way Dan Mullen, I, there will be several camera shots of whatever broadcast the Gators are playing on. Dan Mullen, it seems absolutely irate with Todd Grantham. Whatever it is, either uh, Mississippi State just scored, like, and they're up, they're up by seven or six, and but something obviously is going wrong because Dan Mullen is, sees something in this defense that's not working, and uh, that is noticeable in most games of the season. So basically, my question is: Do you think Dan Mullen will ever find the will? <laughs> to move on from Todd Grantham, possibly this year. Yeah, if the defense looks disappointing this year, and I mean, I think there's a good chance of that happening. Um, you know, with some with some talent loss and all that. Uh, I think yeah, you definitely have to consider that because I mean, I know that they're very close. I know they worked together a long time, but the goal for this program as it stands, especially after last year, is to get to those college football playoffs, and to do that. Obviously, you know, that runs through Jacksonville with the world's biggest cocktail party. And then it, right. it comes down to winning the SEC championship, which is something that they almost did this year off of pure offensive prowess alone. Um, right. But I think the defense and, and, and the coaching there and, and everything is the biggest thing inhibiting this Florida team from doing that. And I think there's a good possibility that we see that come to fruition. You know, they might not beat Georgia this year. I say they probably wouldn't beat Georgia this year with the new offense, the new quarterback, probably some new uh, new scheming going on on that side of the ball. And then you've got the defense, which, you know, definitely some different coaches in there. But Todd Grantham still the helm of that. The scheme's still the same. I think, you know, the complexity of the scheme, the fact that you see a lot of players lining up out of position a lot, you know, right. this past year. 
uh, those problems will still probably persist. And honestly, that might be uh, the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to say, um, with this team. So we'll see. But I think there's definitely a possibility there, uh, depending on how this year goes. Definitely, definitely. I mean, in those, like, oppositions, not, I mean, players seeming to not be in the right position and just, like, whether it's the penalties, too, for neutral zones and offside and just maybe even a bad pass interference, I feel like that's all very fixable. Discipline, and, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, it, that's all that comes down to discipline. That's that's on coaching, too. Um, you know, it's messy. It's sloppy. It's, uh, yeah, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And so the only thing I'll really say is if this does happen, um, if, if the Gators do move on from Todd Grantham as defensive coordinator, where does that leave the Gators? I mean, th- that leaves them with possibly as maybe with one of the worst-looking SEC defenses out there right now in the conference. So there probably wouldn't be much of a point to actually start over, look for a new guy, and then hope that he does better for the defense. Because the chances are he, he'll probably be be just as good for the defense or most likely just just worse so i don't know that, that definitely leaves the gators in a tough predicament i would say uh, but i mean they, they got the season but uh, i think that first test for the gators is going to come versus alabama within the first few weeks first test for anyone isn't it trial yeah. by fire yeah you know? yeah um so definitely see how that one goes and uh you know I feel like with a lot of guys that were out in the open market this season, guys like, I mean, Derek Mason got fired from Vanderbilt, and then, um, you know, I hate to say it because Gator fans probably would protest at the mention of the name, but, you know, guys like Will Muschamp were also in the open market market as well. And those guys are established defensive coordinators, and I feel like with the pedigree of Florida's program, um, you know, he could lure a lot of different people there. So I think there's a valid point, though, in that. You know, right. do you want to move on if you don't have anyone else in the up and up? And I know that at this point, Mullen's comfortable with Todd Grantham as a coordinator, and he might be like, okay, well. As far as we know. Yeah, as far as we know. Um, I'm comfortable with this person here. Uh, I don't see anything I like at the moment, you know, in the up market, so let's just, you know, run it back one more time um, right. and then see how it goes. Or, you know, if it goes well, then they wouldn't just do one more time. It would be a continued partnership. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Alabama's going to obviously, with anybody, be the big <laughs> test. And uh, it should also be a good test for Emory Jones and, and w- probably will be a new look offense for this Florida Gators team as well. Definitely. Um, to see how that will go across the course of the year. Oh, yeah. But uh, let's, let's, let's t- touch on that a little bit before we wrap up here. Um, so now that Kyle Trask is gone, uh, the Gators now have a, like you just said, a new look, and it's it'll be a new quarterback under center. Uh, it'll be Emory Jones, who had a, a lot of snaps uh, in in the, in the previous season. Dan Mullen loved to use him, uh, whether it was just on the option or they would yeah. he'd, he'd even let him sling the ball a couple of times, and I thought it was really awesome to see. Uh, so, do you think like it'll be like that much different? Do you think you'll see we'll see more option plays from Emory and? And it, because I think he's still got a strong arm. I could definitely see him staying in, in that in that pocket and still being a Kyle Trask esque, staying in the pocket maybe a little bit too long and and just let it fly, you know. Oh, there's gonna be some kinks to work out there for sure. Obviously, just based on the fact that uh, you know Emory hasn't played as much as other quarterbacks, and you know we saw Trask come in um, for for the Franks at the Kentucky game, and he played pretty well uh, in relief. But, you know, there were still some problems you saw there that year. 
really slow football. He'd throw a little stone foot in the pocket. And he, he really adjusted and did well to adjust to those things in the subsequent season. And he kind of broke out of his shell. So I think that you might see an Emory Jones that kind of looks similar to that vibe. Probably going to be some uh, a little bit of trepidation coming in there as, you know, starting for the first time. But yeah, they're definitely going to look for more for the option plays. They're going to look more uh, to really take advantage of that spread offense. And I think really um, use Emory's mobility uh, as, as, a, as a boon for the team. Because, you know, Kyle Trask wasn't the most mobile quarterback in the world. I'm sure right. everyone understands that. Uh, he was really about sitting back in the pocket and you know delivering. And not to say that everybody can't do that, because I've seen him throw live a few times. I've seen him actually, uh, you know, when I'm going to do stadiums, uh, see the team warming up out there and seeing Emory and those guys throwing around. And he's got a cannon for an arm, and he could really put some velocity on the football. So, yeah, there's going to be a little bit more of a varied offense, I feel. And it's going to look a little bit different, and it's probably going to look closer to what Dan Mullen envisions, especially because uh, I think he probably wants to run the football a little bit more than they did last year. Right. Um, I think he's going to have that opportunity with a player like Emery. So that should be pretty interesting. Excited to see it. For sure. Same here. Well, Artie Riverman, uh, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us for our uh, very first episode. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations again on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm sure you're still ecstatic. You're going to be very ecstatic for the next few months. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, cloud nine, my friend, cloud nine. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us here uh, for this segment. And uh, I guess uh, Jesse will take it back to you in the uh, main, main uh, podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, during that conversation with River. Uh, and for the most part, I really want to disagree with River, but at the same time, it is a good idea. The Gators should probably look into a new head of the defensive squad, but who would be the right answer for that? I, I, I don't really ha- have have an answer for that question, and I, I think until Dan Mullen can think of that answer, Todd Grantham's probably here to stay. And I think it's time for the football fans to realize that and kind of accept it. And who knows? Maybe like me and River said, this will be his last chance. But we can only help, right? Anyway, so moving on from that, I also had a terrific conversation with another sports writer named Zach Huber. He is a gymnastics beat writer for the Independent Alligator as well. And um, he had a press conference with Dan Mellon on Tuesday, February 16th. So I want to get in his head a little bit about that, as well as a couple of stories he did about Jim and even a story about the Roller Derby Rebels that uh, is a team in Gainesville. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And um, here we go. Here's a conversation with uh, me and Zach. All right. And I'm sitting here with Zachary Huber uh, of the Independent Alligator, beat writer for Florida Gymnastics. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing today? Man, thanks for asking. I'm I'm really doing amazing. It's Tuesday. Really can't complain. Lots of good Gator sports going on, and uh, lots of Gator news going on. But what, from my understanding, you were actually in a press conference with head coach Dan Mullen today. How did that go? It was good. I'm really blessed. I've been at the Alligator for a couple semesters now, so I feel like my hard work is paying off. And then hopefully, I can keep covering football. So I mean, that was really fun covering it today. Dan Mullen pretty much was previewing spring practice, which starts on the 18th. So usually start about a month earlier than normal. So I thought that was kind of odd, but I think because of COVID, he was saying like usually during January, coaches on the recruiting trail. So they have more time to kind of do this. So they started it earlier. Um, then there's going to be no spring game this year, oh, wow. which will be disappointing. 
Yeah, that's usually a, a game that students and residents games that usually like to go to watch see how much depth we got, uh, how much depth there is on the Gators. Excuse me. Um, but so, what was your basically? What stuck out today in the press conference? Was there, was there any certain quotes or any any questions that were asked that really stuck in your mind? I mean, I kind of thought it was odd that he kind of like someone asked him a question about the defense. Like, did you have a chance to go back and watch the defense from last year? What stood out to you? His answer was pretty like usually during the past during pressers, he's usually been pretty not very open about it. But today he was pretty transparent. He talking about a lot of the issues he talked about was the defense not lining up and how he wants to fix that was trying to get the play call in. Like he was saying, like he's on the headset. So just trying to address that and get them all lined up. And then obviously he talked about the new hires, Jules Montnar, and then um, Coach Crime Dog, or um, I can't remember what his name was. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's, it, there's definitely lots of new hires to, to keep up with, with uh, Coach Mullen. Uh, so it's funny that you say that, actually, because I had River on the show earlier. We talked about Todd Grantham and how it's, it, his – him staying is a little bit questionable right now. Maybe some of the fans and even some journalists like me, you or River are questioning why he's still here. Uh, d- d- does he seem to be showing any kinds of sign of, uh, I like, I get you guys. I totally understand where you're coming from, but no, no, he didn't even mention his name. So, I mean, I feel like I don't, no one really asked him about Grantham. So I think he was, didn't really address it at all. I think, I mean, I'm assuming that he just, believes that the secondary and the safeties for secondary was the issue, then that's why he felt the need to let Torian Gray and Ron English. Torian Gray was the defensive backs coach and Ron English was the safeties coach go because there was a lot of blown assignments and he's hoping that he, that will, that will solve the issue. Coach Dan Mullen believes in continuity and staying with coaches, staying with coach. He doesn't want to fire. He's only fired one coordinator in his time as a head coach. So he wants to keep, that together he believes that's important chemistry is an important part to having a successful program yeah all right and then uh so yeah so going on from that uh and and, and thank you so much for, for that info by the way uh so let's go on to your actual beat to uh, gymnastics which seems from what i've been following you on twitter uh, they seem to be having a pretty good year from from what i watched uh it, am i wrong is there something i'm missing there i mean they've been outstanding i mean they're clear cut the best team in the country they're ranked number one across the country, then there's four events in gymnastics, the uneven bars, the vault, the balance beam, and the floor. They're ranked number one on the vault and the, and the bars exercise, or not the bars exercise, the vault and the balance beam. Then they're ranked number four, I believe, on bars, and then number three on floor. But, I mean, there was, I thought, to begin the season, I thought one of their weaknesses was going to be the bars because they start out 12, they start off with a really low score in their opening meeting against Auburn. But they've just climbed and kept improving every single week. Like Jenny Rowland, I talked about this in some of my stories, my previews and gamers. But Jenny Rowland was like chalking out the struggles on bars to first meet jitters because on an away meet, you start out on bars, and in a home meet, you start out on vault. But I mean, they really settled in. Like versus Missouri, they debuted the stick chain, which I think has played a really instrumental part in kind of making, getting all these high scores. So I mean, they really had some really great performances. That I, I think they had a, a season high score on bars against Missouri, and they built off of that. And number one, number two against Missouri last Friday night. Nice, nice. And um, so, tell me more about this stick chain. Uh, what is, what exactly is the stick chain? Where did it come from? So, to back up a little bit, this actually comes from football. The Miami Hurricanes turnover chain 
Naya Reed, the junior Naya Reed actually created it with her father. I mean, she said she got the idea from the Hurricanes turnover chain. I don't know how that's going to sit well with Florida <laughs> fans considering Miami is their in-state rival. But as far as I know, I don't think Miami has a gymnastics team and they don't play them. So I really, I, I don't think there's no harm, no foul. Right. And, <laughs> there. I mean, and there's so many other teams that have been doing the turnover score chain. One, one team, I can't remember what it was, had like a turnover chainsaw or something where I, I saw on a sports center one time. It was really funny. The, the guy, they don't put a chain on a chainsaw. Hopefully they don't. Um, and they just get, they just get the, they had the motor on a couple of times and rev it up. And it's really funny. Um, so I, I actually think it's even more awesome that it's reached over to a new barrier. It's reached over to a new sport, which is a sport you wouldn't really think of having something like a, a, a turnover score chain. It's gymnastics, but I think this is really awesome. And it seems, like you said, it seems to be working. They seem to be building off an energy from this chain. I mean, they love it. I mean, here's a quote from Gabrielle Galantine from Meet Availability a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it has put a little bit of competition between all of us because we want the stick chain. Everyone wants it. It has put a little bit of pressure on us and practice and competition to stick our landings and more. Jenny Rowan was talking about it, how they put it in practice, and they divided the teams up in orange and blue and see so you get the most stuck landings in practice. I think one team, I don't remember what team it was, but they defeated the other team 40 to 36 and they got the have bragging rights and get the chain for the day. I mean, it whatever works. I mean, it's kind of crazy how 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 the turnover chain has gone to other sports and revolutionized college football. I think it's kind of crazy that just like I feel like it's kind of a mental thing and I don't know how much it actually helps increase turnovers or increase stuck landings. To clarify the stick chain a little bit, they the Florida gymnasts are given a stick chain every time they get a perfect landing on an event because a a, la- a perfect landing in gymnastics can increase their score by a tenth of a point. And huh. tenth, I mean that tenth can be the difference. And like I had a quote from Jim, Savannah Shaner, she talked about in media availability, like you could have like just a terrible routine. But if you get that stick landing and that stick chain, it kind of just salvages the routine. It makes you feel a lot better about it. Right. And it, so obviously, yeah, it's, it's working. I, I, I definitely see that. And um, so, so tell me more a little bit about Jim. Uh, who is our next matchup against? Uh, and, and where can we uh, watch him if we can? Um, their next meet is at home Friday night against Kentucky. I believe their number is 20. Let me check that right now. Okay. I have pulled up right in front of me. They're actually number 14. My bad. But it's their annual Wink the Pink meet, so it's their meet honoring breast cancer. I think it was pretty cool. A couple weeks back against Missouri, they had like a pride meet. Junior Savannah Shaner came out this summer and told the world about her sexuality. I mean, it's kind of like that pride meet was the first event, first U.S. sporting event in school history honoring something like that. So it's kind of crazy how full circle 2020 has come because you had the Black Lives Matter movement and love Peace, love, and equality. Right, exactly. That's that's actually really, really cool to see. Uh, so good luck to the Gators on that uh, as they go against Kentucky. We will definitely touch on that with the uh, weekly previews later on the show. But, Zach, before I let you go, I will uh, hit you with uh, just a couple more questions here. Uh, I really wanted to touch on this story that you put out a couple weeks ago about the Gainesville Roller Rebels. I, I believe that's your team name, right? That's correct. Yes, okay. So – so I, I actually watched uh, a documentary on Netflix about the, the Roller Derby, like, culture and just, like, the experiences, and it really caught my eye. So I also, also caught my eye was your story because I didn't even know Gainesville had something like that around here. 
Um, so basically, just kind of tell me, take me into your story. How much knowledge of roller derby did you really have prior? And, you know, how much did you learn? What, what was your favorite part about the uh, experience? I had none, nothing, not, had no knowledge of roller derby. I mean, I didn't even know there was a team. Like our editor, Christian Ortega, like, like, hey, does anybody want to go cover a story about the Yantor Roller Labs? I'm like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. But, I mean, they were an amazing story. I learned so much about the sport and what they do. I was really inspired by how they, even during the pandemic, like, a lot of them are just regular, like, regular people, like nurse managers, like communications, person at UF Health. They're really normal people, but they really stayed in touch and really tried to keep, keep, keep that team chemistry going and keep building bonds with each other. Like, for example, there was, like, they had a, an event where they had a smart, where they started icing each other. They go drop off a bottle, a cold bottle of Smirnoff ice at their door, and they would chug it. Like it <laughs> almost like it's like a Gainesville college style of drinking game, which I'm sure Gainesville residents are pretty familiar with. Of course, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so tell me about what was your favorite part of the experience about being around the Derby team? I really like. I really love coming into sports because I get to break out down the, all these stories. Like in that feature, I kind of broke down their last match before COVID happened. Like, they weren't expecting to win. It was against this team from Broward County. They were really, really good, undefeated. Like, it was a really close bout. Like, the the captain, Marilee, Marilee Griffin, and um, just gave me really quick quotes about it and just really broke down the foul. And it was like kind of like a last-minute run where they kind of made it, came back, took the lead, and they went on to win. And one of the most interesting details I found, like, she started talking about how the fans started stomping on the bleachers. Like they knew their team was going to win. Like I never <laughs> knew it. Like that's not a tradition for the Roller Rebels, but that's just something they did because they were so in tune with the game and they were enjoying it so much. Nice. Uh, so in 2021, are we able to go watch the Rebels? Is there any kind of COVID restriction on not being able to see them? Or They are a part of the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, and their league has been a little bit more conservative, a little bit more proactive about trying to be safe as possible. Like, I believe their COVID positive infection rate in the city, the team, like the team city, has to be lower than 5% before they can even start practicing outside with only five people and no contact. So it's going to be a lot of stats. But I think they're hopeful with all the vaccines coming out that they could do it soon. I mean, I would love to go out and cover a roller derby match, roller derby belt, just to see what it's like. Because I mean, I plan on it even – I graduate next fall, so if I'm still around, I still plan on coming out and seeing them, like nice. seeing what it's like in person. Yeah, why not? I mean, that's <clears throat> I, I I never been to one before either, and I would love to experience something like that because I've only seen it on TV shows, movies, and like that's about it. It's not as gruesome. Like there was like she was talk, Marilee Griff, Griffin was talking about when I was interviewing her, like how like it has like a bad rap, it's like a really aggressive, intimidating sport, but it's not. It's kind of just like there's a lot more rules than there used to be. Like, I think like one of the, I was interviewed one of the referees who works at the Roller Rebels and she, and he was saying like, you can't do like, like in football, you can't do like a chop block on someone. <laughs> right. Exactly. But they're also doing like a virtual, I remember them telling me that they're doing a virtual Derby 101. Oh, okay. So for new skaters, I thought that was really cool. I, but they were trying to promote it a little bit. So. Nice. All right. Well, Zach, hey, man, thank you so much for hopping on the uh, first episode ever. Uh, I guess not the first episode ever, but my version of uh, the Alligator Sports Podcast. It was an absolutely honor having you on, man. And, um, yes, yeah, so, so thanks again.
Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. I hope to come on, come back on it again sometime. Of course, man. You're always welcome back on. And uh, we'll take it right back to the main show. Uh, so back to you, Jesse. All right. So busy week for Florida Gator Athletics this week as men's basketball is taking on number 24, Arkansas, as we speak. We will get the results for that tomorrow. And then uh, Georgia will be coming over to Gainesville as well first on Saturday the 20th. And that should be an exciting one. Women's basketball will be hosting Alabama on Thursday after coming up just short uh, uh, on Monday uh, to Kentucky by just eight points. And then they will be visiting Missouri on Sunday the 15th to take on the Tigers. The number one ranked baseball will be having their opening weekend on starting on Friday. And that will be at the brand new Florida ballpark. Go check it out. It's absolutely beautiful out there. I will definitely be trying to get a seat out there for the uh, first pitch versus the Miami Hurricanes. It should be really good out there. And then softball will be home against Jacksonville tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, that should be a great one. And then they will be hosting Georgia Southern back-to-back on the 19th and the 20th. Now, unfortunately, soccer was supposed to host Florida Atlantic uh, for for a few days, but that whole bit is going to be canceled, and uh, we will see if they, if they reschedule. We will give you updates on that. Uh, swim team is competing in the SEC championships uh, starting right now until Saturday, so we will be sure to give you updates on that as well. And the number one gym team, as we heard from Zach Hubert, will be taking on the number 17 Kentucky Wildcats this weekend as well. Uh, and then starting off for SEC play this weekend will be men's and women's tennis, and they will be playing the Alabama Crimson Tide and women's lacrosse. Or, in other words, lacrosse will be traveling up to Raleigh, North Carolina to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. And that will wrap it up this week for Florida Gator Athletics. We will get you all the results on the review next week. Alrighty, guys, that's going to be it for me. Thank you so much for letting me borrow 40 minutes of your listening time. Uh, it really means the world. And uh, this will be the first of many episodes uh, this semester for the uh, Alligator Sports Podcast. Make sure to follow Alligator Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us all there at Alligator Sports. Uh, you can find all the updates for Florida, your favorite Florida Gator athletic team, uh, whether it be women's basketball, uh, men's and women's tennis, lacrosse, you name it, we cover it. Uh, that's our drive at the Independent Alligator. Uh, for me, I'm Jesse Richardson. Thank you again for listening. You can find me on Twitter at JesseRich352. I'll be giving all the updates uh, for Florida Gator tennis, both men's and women's. Uh, I'm the tennis beat. But uh, again, thank you guys. Hope you guys have a wonderful and safe week. Uh, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear your mask, be smart in general. Um, And um, yeah, you guys have a great week again and be safe.